This is Ethan Siegel, and welcome back to the Starts With a Bang podcast. We all have our common conception of what the Big Bang is, that the universe began from a hot, dense, uniform, and rapidly expanding state, and then cooled and clumped together, eventually forming atomic nuclei, neutral atoms, the first stars, the first galaxies, and then generations and generations of stars later, giving rise to planets with rocky worlds around them, human beings, and everything else we find in the universe today. It took billions of years for the universe to go from this initial state to what it is today. In fact, it's tempting to go all the way back and assume that the Big Bang began with a singularity where all of the matter and energy in the universe were compressed and condensed into a single point, a point of infinite density, infinite temperature, and arbitrarily intense conditions that push the limits of the very laws of physics themselves. That's tempting, and there's a good reason for how this picture came to be. In the 1910s, Einstein put forth his theory of general relativity, where concepts of space and time were replaced with space-time, with a unified fabric linking matter and energy on one hand and space-time on the other hand together in an inextricable way. A decade later, Edwin Hubble's observations of Cepheid variable stars in distant galaxies combined with Vesto Sleifer's redshift measurements of those galaxies gave us a universe where these distant spiral nebulae, now known as galaxies, not only existed far outside our own, but where he uncovered a relationship that the farther away a galaxy was, the more distant it was, the faster it appeared to be receding from us. This isn't due to simple outward motion, but rather in the context of relativity, in the context of Einstein's theory, it's due to an expanding universe, due to the fabric of space itself expanding over time. Well, what happens in a universe like this? The matter dilutes. Energy, radiation, not only dilutes as the universe expands and gets less dense, but the wavelength of that light stretches, bringing it to lower and lower energies. So moving forward in time, matter dilutes and gets less dense. Radiation dilutes and gets less energetic, so it dilutes faster in density than matter does. Which means, if we go the other direction, if we go backwards in time instead, we find that yes, everything is denser and more compact, but also hotter. The universe is at hotter temperatures in the past. Now, George Gamow in the 1940s had a great idea to say, let's go back as far as we can with these same assumptions and see what consequences arise. You'll go back to an early enough time when the universe, instead of being billions of years old, would only be hundreds of thousands of years old, where it was hot enough that neutral atoms themselves could not form, because the radiation that would be around at the time would be high enough in energy to knock electrons off of the atomic nuclei that we find them bound to today. 
You can go back even further and find the atomic nuclei themselves, protons and neutrons, instead of being bound together, would get blasted apart by this high-energy radiation that would be of such magnitude that even a simple deuteron, one proton and neutron bound together, would be blasted apart. So you can extrapolate backwards to a hot, dense, more uniform state based on the fact that we see the universe continuing to expand and cool today. So if you want to ask, how did we arrive at our universe today the way we know it? Well, we know right now it's full of planets orbiting stars, which orbit bound together in galaxies, which are part of a large-scale structure web of the universe. How did we get there? Well, that must have formed from gravitational collapse from a more uniform state over time on all scales. And if we go back even farther in time to not only when there were no galaxies and no stars, but to when there were no neutral atoms, we find that the universe was even hotter back then. Hot enough that any time an electron and proton found one another to bind together into hydrogen, a high-energy photon would come along and blast them apart. We can go back Similarly to when there were no atomic nuclei, we can go back to when radiation spontaneously produced new pairs of matter and antimatter. And if we like, we can go all the way back to a singularity. And that's traditionally how people have looked at the Big Bang. In the 1940s, when Gamow proposed this, this was all theoretical. Yet it was realized that one of the predictions of this would come from that time where you do form neutral atoms. Because until then, until you form neutral atoms, you have an ionized sea of charged particles, including protons and electrons. What happens to photons, to high-energy radiation that's present in this? They scatter. Every time, in particular, that they run into an electron, they'll bounce off of it, which means you should see a thermal bath of radiation that's the same uniform temperatures and properties everywhere that obeys a particular type of energy spectrum known as a black body spectrum. And that once you form neutral atoms, as the universe keeps expanding, that wavelength, that high energy light should redshift, should cool, so that today it should only be a few Kelvin above absolute zero. In the mid-1960s, using the horn antenna in Holmdale, New Jersey, Arno Penzias and Bob Wilson discovered this exact radiation, which was later determined to have the exact black body shape and to be at a temperature of 2.725 Kelvin, exactly in accord with what the Big Bang Theory predicts. Later on, other confirmations were made as well. We discovered the synthesized light elements from the Big Bang back before any stars or heavier elements had formed. This was a confirmation of Big Bang nucleosynthesis. These three pieces of evidence taken together, the Hubble expansion of the universe, the black body cosmic microwave background, and the synthesis of the lightest elements during the Big Bang, all point towards the Big Bang model being correct, as there's no other explanation in the context of general relativity that can simultaneously account for all three of these phenomena. 
But accepting the Big Bang brings up a number of important questions. Why was the universe so uniform in its early stages? In order to give rise to the universe we see today, things needed to be uniform to more than one part in 10,000 in the early stages. Why were these density fluctuations where one region of space had a little more matter than average and another region had a little less, why are they so small in magnitude and why do they appear on all scales? Why was the universe the same temperature everywhere in disconnected regions? If we look 13.8 billion years into the past in one direction and then turn 180 degrees and look in the opposite direction, we find they're the same exact temperature to more than one part in 30,000. And we can do this for thousands and millions and billions of disconnected regions that could have never exchanged information with one another. So why did it have the same temperature everywhere in those disconnected regions? And why, if the universe reached an arbitrarily hot state in the past, which is what you get when you extrapolate back to a singularity, do we not have any of the high-energy relics of these leftover particles like magnetic monopoles and other topological defects that are predicted by practically every extension to our standard model? These three problems were known as the horizon problem, the flatness problem, and the monopole problem. And so if you want to say, why does the universe have all of these properties, you can either say, well, this is just how things are and there's no explanation. You, you can go ahead and do that. But in science, we don't find that satisfying. What we would like to do instead is to come up with a scientific explanation for a scenario that would give rise naturally to all three of these problems having a solution and that itself would make additional predictions that we can go out and measure. This was the idea put forth in 1979 and 1980 by Alan Guth, the idea of cosmic inflation, that there was a state before the Big Bang that set it up, preceded it, and gave it the right properties to be in accord with everything we observe today. The idea of inflation was that before the Big Bang, space-time itself, the very fabric of space, had energy that was inherent to the vacuum of space itself. It was a tremendous amount of energy resulting in a very rapid expansion of the universe. When you think of expansion, think about looking at something like a tiny fraction of the Earth, a tiny little part of it, maybe your own backyard. Imagine if someone said to you, prove to me that the earth is round using only the area in your backyard available to you. You couldn't do it. You need a bigger perspective. You need to see much more of the earth. Well, the same exact way, why does the universe appear flat? According to cosmic inflation, it could be any shape. It could have any topology at all. But if cosmic inflation were right and inflation stretched the universe to be incredibly large and it did so incredibly rapidly, what would that do?
It would mean that the portion of the universe we can see, having had only 13.8 billion years since the Big Bang, since inflation ended, is not enough to determine what the true shape of the universe is. So this is what inflation does. It takes the universe and stretches it flat. Whatever it was like before, we have no record of it. It reheats the universe when it comes to an end, which means all of this energy that was in the fabric of space gets dumped into matter, antimatter, and radiation and sets up what we know as the Big Bang conditions that sets up this hot, dense, uniform, expanding state. But we also have the laws of quantum mechanics. We also have fluctuations inherent to space itself. What does this do? This means that you get tiny little variations where some places have more energy and some places have less in this expanding inflationary state. And when inflation ends, when this period of energy being inherent to space itself dumps that energy into matter, antimatter, and radiation, that comes out as slight imperfections in the energy density of the universe itself. These were predicted shortly after Guth's theory was first put out in the 1980s and in the 1990s when for the first time we started observing fluctuations in the cosmic microwave background. Guth's predictions, inflation's predictions matched this theory, matched the observations that we started to see from Kobe and then from WMAP and most recently from Planck exactly. Now, this brings up a whole slew of new questions. What did the inflationary state look like? How long did it go on in the past? And where did it come from? Well, we know that inflation looked like a slew of empty space just expanding at an incredibly rapid rate. To give us the universe that we see today, we know it had to go on for at least 10 to the minus 33 seconds. But it could have gone on for only that long, for many seconds, for years, for billions of years, or for an eternity. It could have gone on forever. Inflation could have originated from a starting point, or inflation could have been preceded by a cyclical phenomenon. Due to the very nature of inflation and the fact that it wipes out any information present in our universe before the last 10 to the minus 33 or so seconds of it, we don't have access to those answers. It's kind of a conundrum that the very phenomenon of inflation that can set up and give rise to the Big Bang and can make other testable predictions as well doesn't allow us by its very nature to determine how long inflation lasted or how it got its start. Since inflation was put forth and confirmed, it's no longer correct to use the term Big Bang to refer to the initial singularity that gave rise to the universe. Big Bang means this hot, dense, expanding state that came at the end of inflation. It refers to the time when the universe was full of matter, antimatter, and radiation rather than energy inherent to space itself. 
But there may not have been a singularity at all. The universe may not have begun from a single point where all of space and time emerged from, as you would naively assume before inflation was put forward. Some people still use the term Big Bang to refer to an initial singularity, but although there's a theorem out there, it's called the Borde-Guth-Vilenkin theorem, that says that inflation is past time-like incomplete, which means it couldn't have gone on forever in its current state if the laws of physics as we know them are correct for all times. That theorem both has loopholes and also doesn't necessitate that inflation began from a singularity. It could have come from a pre-existing non-singular or even eternal state. So what can we say about the beginning of the universe and what went on before the hot Big Bang? We can say that there was a different state, an inflationary state that occurred at least 10 to the minus 33 seconds before that, but possibly an eternity longer than that. We simply don't know what came before those final fractions of a second of inflation. By inflation's very nature, all that information is forever out of reach, inflated away by the early, rapid expansion of space. The Big Bang is the beginning of the universe as we recognize it, but it isn't the true beginning of the universe, and to assume that our universe began from a singularity is an idea that no longer has the theoretical and observational evidence behind it that we once thought it did. The Starts With a Bang podcast is made possible through the generous donations of our Patreon supporters. I'd like to thank personally everyone donating at the $5 a month and above level, including Bakhtiar, Kathy Reese, Robert Hansen, Thomas Sola, Denier, Igor Mitrofanov, Jeroen Van Rin, Marcelo Barnaba, Jason Besansini, Nick Tomlinson, Rafal Wojcik, Pedro Texera, Danny, Dennis Arnaud, Gaijin, Bob Wilson, Adam Rabung, Andrew T. Douglas, Weller Tractor Salvage, Ian Lamb, James Nance, Joe McFarland, Richard Jousey, Amira Sosnick, Rachel Merritt, Mark Bradshaw, Sidney Atwood, Christopher Wetmore, Willie Keplinger, Jose Enrique, Harry Plumley, John Methot, Nathan Hanna, Thomas All, Glenn McDavid, Nick McCann, Benjamin Turner, David Taschioni, Joe Latone, Radek Nesbeda, Philip Radilovic, Patrick Dennis, Chris Hilly, DGE, John Seal, Nathan Heston, Braxton Thomason, Karen Garrison, and Zarko Opachik. Thanks everyone for your support and for tuning in, and I'll see you next time here on Starts With a Bang.